Hello, everyone. Welcome to Tandem Coaching Academy's Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational Podcast. We are your hosts today, Sheree Silas and I, Alex Kudnov. And today we have a special guest, Susanna Shokova. And she is an Agile coach, Scrum trainer, author, and she serves on the board of Scrum Alliance. And today we're talking about Agile leadership and Agile leaders and everything in between. So, Susanna, what did I miss? What else should our listeners know about you? So maybe I can start uh, by the book. I finished my second English book, uh, which is called The Agile Leader, Leveraging the Power of Influence. And uh, there was a second one. The first one was a great scrum master. And the great scrum master was easy to do, sort of going by itself. And then I thought I'll write another one on some topic, which is even more important. It became even more important to me because I thought, you know, if we want to be successful with this whole agility, I need to tell those people. And sometimes the Scrum Masters know, right? They are agilists by heart. They need that first book to become a greater Scrum Masters and more successful Scrum Masters. But maybe we need to attract the other people around them in the organization. Mm-hmm. And share with them more stories about how agile organization really works and how it can be successful. Yeah. And first of all, uh, as we chatted before uh, this recording, I'm really a fan of uh, The Great Scrum Master. Um, really fascinating books uh, book. And I would recommend uh, everybody, everybody who is on there track of becoming a scrum master or growing their skills to dig into that and in addition to lots of great information it got lots of interesting pictures you got style you got your own style yeah it started uh, many years ago i was um, speaking at a conference and i didn't like those powerpoint slides right so i actually developed a style where i have a photo and one title on the top. And then I realized it's super difficult to find the photos which are free or do them yourself. So I started realizing I was sitting at one conference and there was a speaker with those simple, I don't want to say ugly, they've been in a way cute, <clears throat> but nothing like uh, really like uh, perfect art or, you know, simple drawings. And I thought I can do this. So I actually started and I have uh, two slides of drawing next next presentation. And the next one, people loves it. They say, oh, we love your small people. They are so cute. I was like, ah, did you draw them yourself? I was like, yes. Oh, you're such a good at drawing. I was like, they are so ugly. But they've been telling me you're such a good at drawing. So I start drawing more. I end up with uh, my presentations at the conferences, completely hand-drawn, not by hand, but by iPad. Mm-hmm. So people ask me which application I use. So uh, I'm using paper. It's uh, one of those, I don't know, when I started drawing, it was one of the only ones. Now there are plenty of those, I guess. But I'm stuck yeah. with this. And I start drawing, right? And then when I wrote my uh, uh, the Great Scrum Master book, I actually start again with pictures. And that's the same for both of those books, right? I always start with a picture in my head and when I'm able to draw it and it's sort of summarizing it all, then I'm ready to start writing. Mm-hmm. And the Agile Leader 
was harder because there was this, I think biggest question I have in my head was like, not what I want to say. I knew what I want to say. It was like, is it a good message for the audience? And who is the audience? Because you can speak to the very traditional managers, but they might not be ready for that message. Yeah. Or you can speak to those who already have experience with Agile and they might not necessarily be managers, but they might be the leaders. So there, here comes the title, right? And I'm using the leader as a state of mind. Leadership is state of your mind. Everyone mm -hmm. here is a leader. You are a leader. Maybe some of you might be sleeping, you know, not realizing it yet. Well, okay. sleep, sleep, leaders have to sleep. I, I can tell you that for sure. Wake up. Wake uh, and up. Um, yeah, de definitely cannot hide talent in many areas, right? So agile coach and really, really nice uh, illustrations. So when you think about leadership and when you think about agile leader, what picture are you drawing in your mind? I have this picture with that star, right? Like uh, it looks, it's, it's, um small kind of uh, person like a star looks like this is the two legs you know and small head in the middle and that's um, what i have and then on the title of that book i have that person with like longer hands longer legs and it's going around like that network organization so there is this network organization where you have those self-organizing teams sort of uh in a collaborative network of social connectiveness, etc., and they all sort of hand it. Wow. Maybe we need to post that image. I don't know. Describe <laughs> 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 it first time without like drawing it. Yeah, trying to picture it in my mind. Yeah, that, that's really cool. And I love that you're able to, to visualize things before you write them. That's really interesting because I would think it would be the other way around. You write and then you would um, illustrate. So really interesting there. Well, um, actually, it's both. The key are before, then I do most of the text, and then I see here is a picture missing, here is a picture missing, et cetera. Uh, interesting, yeah. So what first got you involved and interested in Agile leadership? I started to teach those certified Agile leadership classes and that brought a different audience. So it's a mixture of agile coaches who are ready to change the organization, speaking about culture, org structure, etc. And it's also a mix of executives and entrepreneurs. So uh, I'm based in the Czech Republic, right? So sometimes I'm getting more like a mid-sized, smaller organizations. But it's really interesting because you might have at this class people like founders of organization. Maybe not a huge one, but still somebody who created an organization and grows it. And those people will start to be interested about how shall I change the organization? And I found it super inspirational. And actually the mixture of agilists and some people there from the very top and some people from like being anywhere saying like, you know, I have one team and I still would like to change it because I like what we do with team and how they organize. And how can we apply those principles to the higher level? So uh, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. And I find that managers in agile organizations kind of get a bad rap, right? Um, people 
often go in, they're like, you don't have a job here anymore. Let's push you over to the side. Um, and you seem to have a very different viewpoint. And, and yeah, so I'm wondering how did you really like, I guess, get connected and help, especially that mid-tier manager, really understand that we still have a place here and it's, you know, we're valuable in our organization. That's tough. When I started as a developer, right, it was a difficult shift to become a cross-functional team from that, you know, I'm a C++ developer, which was my job, and some of my colleagues have been like testers, right? And we really need to shift the way we work and collaborate and operate on daily basis. And the same thing needs to happen at every level. Uh, many years ago, 10, 11, 12, uh, it would be more. Yeah, I stopped counting. So a long time ago, I was actually, I used to be a scrum master. And then one day I was promoted to be a director of engineering, which was a new group consisting of developers, testers, and hardware guys, like three departments coming to one big one. And I took over the HR department as well at the same time. And if you think about that, you can technically change the entire organization like this because of that nice coincidence. Mm-hmm. The overall goal of that whole shift was we need to be a little bit more flexible, more collaborative, fast learning, coming up with the creative, innovative ideas, those type of usual things you would say nowadays. It was a longer time ago. And the only thing I knew better than the others was how to build self-organizing teams because as a scrum master, that's the only thing you really know well, right? That's the ultimate goal. So I thought, hey, I now have this department. What shall I do? Yeah, let's run it based on self-organizing teams. No managers. So I actually find that idea and I got it accepted by the organization and our board at the time. And we built a very flat structure with uh, Scrum Masters teams, product owners, and it was really fun. So uh, I think... Part of all I do at the Agile Leadership classes and what I did in that book was actually share that experience. And I, one of those things I wanted to be in a book was like, I thought if Zuzi is the only one who is speaking those things, right, who's talking about those things, well, then they often say, yeah, she's crazy. We don't believe her, right? I know it even from a Scrum Master classes, but when there are two or three other people at the class who are saying, oh, we actually do that. And it was really great. And they do even something different than I did. And then they, the, all of the other people are say, oh, is that really real? Like, really? And then I say, yes, it is, right? And they believe in it more. So what I did in that book, I actually invited uh, some agilists uh, from my network and asked them to write a short story about something they experienced from that organization. So it's not just mm-hmm. about, you know, those pictures and some text around it, but it's also a lot of stories from different people, different agilists, different agile organizations. So hopefully my dream was here. It's become more, uh, people will believe it more. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. So definitely agile leadership is not BS. Um, and by reading your first book, I definitely know that you know what makes a Scrum Master a great one. So what does make an Agile leader, maybe a good Agile leader or even a great Agile leader? 
Well, I have this map, uh, so I try to cover a couple of those things, but uh, vision first. You need to have a vision because without the vision, there is no direction, no change happening. So when I took over the department and HR of the organization, I have a vision of a collaborative environment where people are motivated and they really like are enthusiastic and I want to be a role model in a way uh, for the other organizations around us. And so the vision is the key. If you have a good appealing vision, people will follow. That's a starting point. Then your ability to- So, 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 so let, let me interrupt you there a little bit. So vision, and we talk the leadership kind of percolating organization from top to bottom. And if I am a scrum master who we say is a servant leader, or mm -hmm. I'm a developer on a scrum team, right? And we say, yeah, you're still a leader, so how does vision apply to them? What, what kind of recommendation maybe you give them? Hmm. You either take that you are just here to follow and then you're clearly not a leader, you're a follower and then you don't need any vision or you just say, hey, okay, there are some people around me. Some of them has a title, some of them don't. But I never, myself, I never really cared that much about titles anyway, right? So if there is somebody who has a great idea, well, then I might even follow his ideas, right? I don't have to come up with my own. But then there are times where I have my own ideas and I believe they're useful for the environment and for the organization, so I go for them. And if I go for them this way or that way, well, that doesn't really matter, right? Because uh, you need to inspect and adapt. So I didn't really know how exactly am I going to do that. But I knew where I'm heading to, towards more collaborative, more team-oriented culture in a simple way, digested way, right? And it wasn't simple because some people didn't like it. Some people were not ready for it. But um, even as a Scrum Master, I did a lot of things, right? I was actually, that's really funny. I never have a title of Scrum Master. I was always a senior developer or something. And people often ask me, like, I can't do that as a scrum master. They don't allow me to, whatever. I've got a title, job position, senior developer. I've got a KPIs saying me, like, you know, you need to improve in C++ or whatever was it. I don't even remember, right? I was acting as scrum master because I thought it's better for the results. And by the way, no one really questioned it because it was better for the result. Mm -hmm. So if you think about to use Scrum Master then, what was your vision? At the beginning, uh, I didn't have any, but for some, from some time I've got, I want to have this team to be working well, really together, have a good environment, people happy, have a good relationships, but also that same relationship should be not only with employees, but also with customers. So we were really building as one of the key values, like customer partnership, full transparency. We take them as part of our team. Mm -hmm. It was like no different. So I was trying to build this collaborative environment where actually if we are together, you know, one plus one is more than two eventually. Yeah. And so that was this vision of, of this creative, collaborative space. Yeah, and, and it's and so I want to go back to one of the things you said, because I don't use a leader as a hierarchical thing. The managers should be leaders, but you don't have to be a manager to be a leader. They're two yeah. different things, kind of, right? Yeah. So, 
yeah, and, and it's so beautiful about the vision and how you are able to articulate that. So what it tells me that vision doesn't have to be this big, huge thing, like I'm going to change the world, I'm going to cure cancer, I'm going to make everything beautiful. It can be something small. It can be something that you impact the world and you can be proud of. That's really, uh, that's really fascinating. That's really impactful. So uh, back to original question. So great leader has a vision. What it's else? Vision, then uh, be able to motivate people. That's part of it is the vision, right? If you have a good vision, they will sort of be motivated by that already. But there might be some other things. And it's more about intrinsic than extrinsic motivation, et cetera, right? But the purpose would be part of it quite significantly. And then uh, feedback is another one of those. And here people often say, you know, it's about giving feedback to your peers or to the employees if you're a manager or to others in general, right? And I don't think so. Well, of course it is, but it's much more important to receive that feedback. So what I often ask people is like, how many times you learn based on the feedback you received? How many times you changed your behavior based on the feedback from your teams or your peers or from people around you? And how many times you just said, hey, you know, they don't understand it. I know better, mm. right? So that's this part of thing. Then uh, like when we do the star right on the top section are those three, on the side sections, you have um, coaching facilitation as a soft skills, right? Quite important. And that's one of those things which people are missing in organizations very often. Well, there are some corporations who have their internal coaching program and have some coaches there and their organization which supports some facilitation techniques, etc. that many people never hear about this. And I was one of them when I started I didn't even believe in it. When I hear about coaching and facilitation, I felt like, yeah, oh, too fluffy. Yeah, I was having a technical background. I was speaking to two coaches, right? I was having a technical background. Yeah, it was really weird. My Nothing can compare to the power of C++. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? How can I help somebody without telling him like what to do, right? Like, how can it even work? And what actually changed me was uh, one of those uh, events where I got myself a coaching and I actually realized, mm -hmm. wow, I was stuck for a long time, like for a couple of years. And that coaching will help me to open a brand new world. So there must be something magical on it. So I actually went to a bookstore and bought two books, one on coaching, one on facilitation and start reading and practicing. And, you know, I'm good enough coach to a certain extent. At least I know what it is. But uh, I'll never be, you know, perfect. But maybe that's not even a point. The point is, are you at least good enough? Can you use it when you feel it's needed? So when you feel it's needed, how do you decipher when coaching is needed when facilitation is needed, when consulting is needed. It's always about your habits, right? So I do it more and more. 
I used to be telling people advices much more. And I learned that they often are not interested in them. They believe they know better anyway. Or they are not ready to hear it. So um, the more I'm around different organizations, different people, the more I believe that coaching and facilitation is key. Mm. Right? So going back to that star, right? On the other side, you sometimes need to be able to do some storytelling, maybe some stories, right? Stories are important. You really need to be able to tell a story about a success, how that went, right? Because that's what really scales. And that's what's really sticky and people want to be successful. So they grow together with all the others and that's cool. Then finally on the bottom section, you have the change. So uh, there are three segments. The first one would be speaking about changing through changing yourself. And then one of the hardest ones, at least for me, you know, you need to change your own behavior. So when I have that vision of having a flat organization with no managers, I actually, that was simple in my head, but then I have to act accordingly. And it was also simple in regular day-to-day -day situation, but then there was some sort of a stress or surprise or something and you, without realizing, are like back at your habits. And then, of course, all the environment where you have a quite radical transparency already, they always told me like, hey, didn't you say this and do something else? There was that feedback, right? I got immediately. It was like, um, yeah, I'm sorry I did that, yeah. right? So that was, the, again, the transparency back and the ability to say, okay, I'm aware of it and I'm on that journey with you was actually helping a lot to the environment mm -hmm. because I guess they take it as they can trust me. I don't know. Yeah. And you were talking about transparency. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, there was a, two other segments. So the other one is like changing some sort of practices maybe or working with people, right? The environment. And uh, the last one is changing the entire system. So that's uh, mm -hmm. this organizational view, looking at organization as a system and be able to work at that level and introducing a change there. And you want to ask something, so. Mm, that's okay. Yeah, um, I wanted to kind of pull on some of the things you said. You were talking about transparency and several times you mentioned feedback and responding to feedback. And I'm really interested in knowing what your viewpoint is on anonymous feedback and the impact that it has. <laughs> it depends on moral. I mean, like uh, there are those tools like Office Byte, right? Which uh, can send to your organization one question per week, for example, and then everybody replies and you see the result, like are people motivated or do they feel that uh, they have a good environment which helps them, right? And you see the results, you see the trends. So that's a good anonymous feedback, right? And that works. Now, we were able to, for our employees or for teams, we were able to start a peer feedback, which was quite open. Retrospective is one of those, right? 
They just say it. And sometimes you write it on a post-it note, but it's not completely anonymous anyway, because people know. And in a team, even if you would write it somewhere, people know. They know each other, right? So it depends on the safety in that space. I like to have it open, transparent, and on the other hand, there might be some places where you don't want to say that. Hmm. So we have a box where everybody can put anything if they feel that way. And I don't remember anybody been using it. <laughs> like, why they've been coming with those ideas? So should I put it to the box or can I just tell you? <laughs> right? Like me, they can just tell me, but um, you know, both would work, whatever you feel comfortable, right? So, um, it's about um, the safety. If you have a good safety in space, people trust each other and they are willing to speak up. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm through my career, one of those things I often do for organizations, I work with dysfunctional teams. Now, maybe it's not the best idea to start with open feedback, you know, because they start fighting. But sometimes you just need to take it out anyway. All those skeletons from a closet, right? That's fascinating. So you work with dysfunctional teams. And so what are some of the things you do to bring them from dysfunctional to um, healthy functioning? So one of the things I learned, I'm usually using this five dysfunctions of a team, Patrick Lancy in his book. Mm -hmm. And with some environments, we've been also using uh, their assessment. So they actually ask you 25-ish questions and all, I mean, all the team members and plus some other around the environment and then they create a record for you. That's the, the same pyramid as you have in the book with a green light, yellow light and red light sort of uh, showing each level the healthiness mm -hmm. and some other details around this. And most of the teams where we already started working on this, they have a trust issue anyway, right? So they start somewhere, no matter where I try, they start somewhere like, oh, we sometimes don't really commit or we might not have one goal. But then once we talk about it, it doesn't take long, even if we don't do the assessment, right? We end up like we don't trust each other. And trust is not a binary, like trust or don't trust, right? It's a linear sort of progression. So of course, they often trust each other like no one is going to do anything like really bad to you, like ugly. But do I trust you make your job? Do I trust that you will not use something to your advantage? Maybe not, right? And it's fascinating how and now fast and slow. At the beginning, it always feels like slow. It will never change. They are so stuck at their, uh, sometimes even interpersonal conflicts, etc. And then eventually it goes really fast. So I really like those type of things. So I'm wondering, uh, in your work with dysfunctional team, what your observations are around leadership in, that, in those teams and those organizations and how is the level of leadership that you observe correlate or maybe doesn't correlate with the dysfunctions in the teams that you work with? The first uh, teams I got, there was a huge bang. 
And one of those managers realized that I'm not only expert on Scrum, as he called it, but also, you know, can fix those teams. So he started sending me, sending me to non-agile environments, which didn't even have intention to run in agile. They said they are quite dysfunctional. And you ask about this leadership, right? But uh, it was a reflection of that manager. And that manager, neither of those two, where I was in that company were like bad people. They were trying. They just didn't know how to organize a group of people in that environment. They might be even great managers in some other environment. But they didn't know what to do. And it was interesting because I ran a set of workshops with the team and it improved. And uh, then the entire agile got stopped. With that, I got stopped as well as Agilist, right? And we didn't really do it long enough, so it didn't stick. But interestingly, I met one of those guys later on, and he said that the environment went slowly by slowly down again, so they all left. But he said that they are still good friends, and they sometimes meet, and they still remember that experience of being on a good team. So there was something fascinating. They didn't manage to make it stick or be that way, but they at least managed to remember how it is and actually went to a place where it was more easy to be that way. Yeah. So those type of things are super motivational because you see you can make a difference. Even if it looks like a failure on the first look, right? It actually ends up being a pretty good thing. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I remember as you were describing the star, the last one was, I, I don't remember exact words, like systems approach. Change the like, system, yeah. Change yeah. through the working with the system, yeah. Right, so, and um, it, it kind of became clear in the last several years that agile coaches are not only focusing on teams and individual, and it behooves us all to look at what we're working with as a system, right? Mm -hmm. As kind of the, the system of interconnected stocks and, um, and flows and all that, right? And how the system reacts to what we bring in. So uh, how do you use these kind of systems thinking, system approach in your work as an agile coach? How does it help you? So one of those things I did when I started to be interested in coaching, I started going to different classes and eventually, when I finish all of the Lisa Atkins uh, classes, I ask her, like, what's next? I've been at all of your classes, so where should I go next, right? And she said, hey, I don't know, but we are now doing the ORSC, the Organizational System Relationship Coaching, and we like it. And I was thinking about it for a year or two, maybe, uh, you know, and thinking, should I go or not? And they have this website, which doesn't really speak to me that much. And I was not sure if it's not too weird to me. So I was thinking, should I, should I not? And then the country, really if I'm thinking, Lisa likes it, right? So I might like it as well. So I eventually actually said, okay, well, I don't know anyway. I can't know otherwise, you know, unless I try it. So I signed up for all five. They have a series of those coaching classes. It's usually a three days. And I actually did three and three in a row. We've got a one day in between in Toronto. And because of that coupling those classes, we actually have that day in between and spend more time together. So we became quite a good friends as well. And interestingly, 
Some of those modules were great. I like them. Some of those modules, I remember one. I didn't like it. I thought it's crazy or weird or felt like, what the hell are they doing? I will never use it in my work. And, but overall, I thought it's really a good class or program, right? And then I recommended it to one of my friends and he said, okay, I'm going, but you join me as one of those classes as, uh, you know, you can, once you finish the class, you can always sign up to be a facilitator of that class to help with the triads or something like this. So I signed up for his London class, the last one, the integration piece. And I re still remember my experience going through the integration. It was a year ago. I was lost. I felt confused. I didn't know which tool I should take out of my hand. And that experience, the second time, it was like, I know, it's like this. It's like that. And surprisingly, I did a reflection then because it was, oh, I'm really using it without even like, you know, it became natural. And surprisingly, the things I'm using the most are those which I thought I will never use. So that was fascinating because I was not even aware of it. And literally, I would say, speaking about leadership and doing this leadership class, I have a seven months leadership development program as well, where we work with different leaders in organizations on how to change culture, organizational structure, etc. right? So uh, I base it on ORSC and it actually allows me to see things from a different perspective. It's like open up the new world where you can finally see things which you sort of know are there, but you don't know where to go or how to touch them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I can definitely understand how that helps you to see things and to work with the client better. Um, and, and so I'm hearing the impact on you as a coach. And what I'd love to hear a little bit more about is the impact on your clients when you shifted to start using some of these things you learned in coaching. I felt I'm finally able to do what I need to. And they've been asking me something or we've got a uh, meeting, right? And I try to do my best and they say, ah, interesting. But you see from their face, it didn't help them. Now, when I shifted, and actually you see from the face that they are interested and we actually with some of them become friends and we still you know time to time see each other or talk to each other etc and it was because i changed the way i approached them in the more coaching way and more also system way there is one of those rules which i really like on this uh, looking at whole organization as a system and the system perspective you know, who knows what is right and what is not. There is no right or wrong exists in a complex system. Whatever looks good from this perspective might be looking as completely bad from that perspective. And in the short term, it looks like a disaster, but actually in the long term, it's one of the best decisions you could ever make. Mm -hmm. And whatever you do, if you start looking at things through those lenses, it's okay. Well, we inspect and adapt, right? didn't work that as we intended not well not bad who knows right but it might be gonna be good to some extent somewhere else so that will actually gives me maybe the self-confidence because one of those things i dislike on traditional way of working is this big plan which you're supposed to follow so you're supposed to be the most smartest person in the world 
to figure out what needs to be done. And I was always sort of even maybe not failing in reality, but failing mentally because I was always having those questions in my head. What if this is not the right one? And what if there is a better way? So I really love Agile because you don't have to do that. You have your goal. Yeah. How to get there? Well, I don't know. We'll see. Let's do this and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So we, we know that there are quite a few ways, quite a few wrong ways of doing leadership or being a leader. And of course, there are many right ways that will get you to become that great leader. So for those who are just stepping on this road of to great agile leadership, what would be one step, what would be one suggestion that you give them? Trust yourself. You are a leader. You don't need anybody else to tell you what to do. Of course, be open for feedback. I'm not saying be blind and just do it your way. But don't hold back. You can make a difference, no matter which is your position. So do it. Fantastic. Well, Zuzi, congratulations on your second book. Is there a third in the plans? What's, what, what's in your nearest future? So in my nearest future, right? Uh, so some sort of a book tour. I still plan to do some rounds of interviews and I try to, I started speaking at the conferences, virtual conferences now a lot again to promote the book, to speak about it. I'm really enjoying running those Scrum Master Product Owner classes, specifically those advanced Scrum Master, advanced Product Owner, etc. Uh, but uh, speaking about a book, I'm looking forward for next Certified Agile Leadership class. I'm now running two cohorts of uh, the second phase of that, which is a seven-month development program. And that's super cool. You know, now I have like European, US cohort and Australian cohort and Asia cohort. And that's so interesting, like having those people across the world being able to go to the one program together and share their insights. That's what I'm super passionate about. And I think the last thing I should mention is if you're curious about some great speakers, well, we organized the Agile 100 conference and uh, that's a monthly event. Currently it's free, so it doesn't cost you anything. And if you like it, just recommend us to some other friends and colleagues. Mm -hmm. And those of our listeners who are interested in your book or joining one of those um, leadership cohorts, how can they contact you? So I have a website, uh, which is sokova.com. So my second name, last name, and .com. So that should be simple to find. And you can see there, there is an email, phone number maybe, but email is the best way how to contact me. I'm easily to be Googled, so you should find me. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Zuzis, thank you so much for spending your time uh, with us today. Uh, it was a fascinating conversation and we wish you a lot of luck with your training, with your book tour. I'm sure it will be great. And uh, this has been another episode of Tandem Coaching Academy's Keeping Agile Coaching Non-Denominational. And we were your hosts, Shuri Silas and I, Alex Kudnov. Bye now. Thank you for inviting.